So if you guys are uh, new here tonight, if it's your first time visiting tonight, uh, I just want to try to catch you up to speed really quick. Uh, Over the past couple weeks, um, we've been doing a series called Mood, where we've been looking at uh, mental health and how it is a very prevalent topic, is a prevalent issue um, that we have to deal with. So over the past couple weeks, first we talked about anxiety, and then we talked about depression. And throughout the past couple weeks, we've really been talking about uh, those things and, and how we deal with those things. And it's really been a lot of that song that we just sang. That when we feel overwhelmed, we feel surrounded by these issues, that when we go to Christ, when we use praise and we use thanksgiving, those are our weapons. Those are our ways that we combat these feelings. So tonight, we are going to be concluding that series, and we're going to be talking about a difficult subject tonight. And tonight, we're going to be talking about suicide. And even when I just say the word, whenever you hear that word, whenever you hear someone talk about that, it brings back very painful memories for some of us in this room. Memories of loved ones friends, co-workers, fellow service members, people that you might have shared meals with, people that you shared laughs with, people you have memories with that you worked alongside of. For some of us in this room, just hearing that word, it it brings us back to a, a place where we remember memories of long seasons of just trying to help that person, trying to help those individuals, long seasons of wishing that you knew what the answer was, wishing that you had some type of magic word or you knew exactly what the right thing to say was, or seasons of wanting to help that person, trying to help, and, and feeling like nothing, nothing was working. For some of us in this room, it makes us think about headline after headline and post after post, tweet after tweet, and sometimes it can feel like suicide is all around us. It's at every turn. In fact, there's probably not many of us in here, if, I, if we were to take a survey, there's probably not many of us in here who haven't, hasn't dealt with it in some way, some shape, some form, or know someone who has that's very close to us. And whether it's in the music we listen to on the radio, whether it's on the TV that we consume with TV shows like 13 Reasons Why, or if it's celebrities dying by suicide, or even worship leaders, or even pastors, it seems like it's in our face all the time, and it seems like now more than ever, we have to deal with this. And if you just want to look at the brass tacks, if you just want to get down to the facts and just look at some statistics, uh, the AP Press just recently published um, that for the third consecutive year in a row that suicides in our nation's military uh, have grown, that they've increased for the third year in a row, and that the highest risk demographic was young and enlisted men under the age of 30. And this report even came out and was published at the same time that three sailors on the George Bush, just right over uh, the water in Norfolk, took their own life. The CDC recently published an article uh, in 2018, and they said that according to their findings, uh, there was a 37% increase in suicide for people between the ages of 15 and 19, and a 46% increase in suicide for people between the ages of 20 and 25 since 2000. The LA Times uh, published an article where what they did was they looked at what they called deaths of despair. So deaths related to um, things like suicide, opioid overdose, overdose, or uh, alcohol. And they kind of just lumped those all together as one 
category, and essentially what they did was they were trying to look at, hey, suicide and coping mechanisms put together. We want to categorize those as deaths of despair, and they, what they found is, is really quite shocking is that there are so many deaths of despair in the United States among people between the ages of 15 and 30 that it is actually drawing the average life expectancy in the U.S. down that there is, is impacting, is influencing that many people, that our average life expectancy is being drawn down because of it. And just looking at those statistics, what researchers believe is for people between the ages of 10 and 34, that suicide is actually the second most prominent killer in our nation. Suicide doesn't care what gender you are, doesn't care what race, ethnicity, belief system, or occupation that you are. It's equal opportunity. And that, guys, is us. Those are young adults. Those are our people. People between the ages of 10 and 34. People that attend our ministry in the primary demographic that we serve, that the majority of you guys serve, are people within that demographic. So who do we, who do we blame for this? Who do we point the finger at? Because some people say it's economic downturn. Some people say that it's social media is negatively impacting uh, the way that we view the world, the way that we view one another. Some say it's the opioid crisis. Some say that it's climate. And then some people say it's all of the above put together. But I wonder, I wonder if in this world, if we've forgotten how to cope in a world that is desperately broken, in a world that is desperately looking and searching and trying to find peace, we find none here. We find none here. And I wonder if we have searched high and low for purpose and we have not found it. We've searched high and low for hope and we have not found it. And that's pushed us to want to give up and just try to numb our failure, just try to numb our pain with alcohol, opioids, and the internet. I wonder if every day all we hear is more and more bad news and it's pushed right into the palm of your hand through the form of Reddit, through the form of Twitter, through the form of Facebook, through the form of Instagram, it's pushed right into the palm of your hand right as soon as that happens and it's pushed from the palm of your hand into your mind and into your heart. Friends, I'm telling you here tonight that Jesus Christ gave us the gospel, which is good news. I feel like some of us in here probably feel like we haven't had good news in a long time. And we haven't felt good news in a long time. And I'm here to tell you, man, Jesus gave hope to the hopeless. He gave rest to the weary. He gave direction to the lost. And he came to bring those who are dead to life. So tonight, what I hope and what I've been praying for you guys all week is that when we hear statistics like that, that they're heavy. And when we talk about a subject like this, it can hurt. And we feel it. And it feels very real and it feels very right in front of us. But my prayer tonight is what Christ will teach us through the word, is that we'll be part of turning that statistic around. That you could be that person that helps someone make the turn. Helps someone make a change. That you could be that messenger of hope. That's my prayer for you tonight. So before we go any further, let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Lord, we know that you are the Savior that never leaves us, the Savior that never abandons us. 
God, we know that you love each and every one of us in here individually. You love us wholly. You love us fully, God. We know that you have given us tools, God, to combat these things, God. We know that the true enemy that we fight against, Lord, the true enemy that we wage war against every day is Satan. So God, we come into this place, Lord, Lord, to learn from you, God, to be equipped by your Holy Spirit, God, to learn from your scripture so that we might learn how to fight these battles, Lord, that we might learn how to make a difference, Lord, that we might be used by you, Lord. That is what we are seeking in this place tonight, is to be used by you, God. So I pray tonight that I would step out of the way, Lord, that you would step in for me, God, that you would speak through me, Lord, I pray for anyone who comes in this place tonight, God, anyone right now who might be feeling, God, just the weight of the world pressing down on them, they feel like they're crushed, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you, God, would, you, would, you would deliver them from that. God, we love you. God, we praise you. Lord, we're open to hearing from you tonight. We ask this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, Dr. Karen Mason, um, she's a professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and she works in the psychology and mental health department, and her and a guy named Dr. Thomas Joyner, who is a a big researcher uh, when it comes to suicidal behavior, basically what they did was they set out, they wanted to try to put together a, a comprehensive but general pattern of essentially kind of how suicide works and how it progresses in someone's life. So, that being said, I want everyone to hear that again over, that this is a very general understanding of how uh, this process um, progresses. But there's always going to be outliers. There's always going to be all types of extenuating circumstances. But the goal of the study was not to try to answer everybody individually, but just try to give us just a general roadmap of where we're going. So that's what I want us to look at tonight. So generally, up front, what we have to understand is really how this type of thing progresses. How does someone go all the way from being essentially at point A all the way to attempting to want to harm themselves or attempting to take their lives? So coming on screen is it basically works kind of in this process. Suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation, and then suicidal attempts. All right, suicidal thoughts are just their thoughts and their feelings of self-harm. They're wondering what would, they're essentially wondering, man, what would happen if I wasn't around anymore? What would happen if I wasn't around anymore? Then suicidal ideation, suicidal ideas, is the thoughts and the planning of how someone would go about doing it. How would they go about dealing with actually harming themselves? What, what would the fallout be? They're, they're thinking that process out. And then the last thing is a suicidal attempt. It's the execution of attempts to physically harm oneself or to take one's life. But it goes on, if we can try to deeper understand this, it's essentially broken down into three parts. So what these two researchers did is they put together this theory, it's called interpersonal interpersonal psychological theory of suicidal behavior, and it looks essentially like this. It looks like suffering, isolation, and hopelessness coming on screen, I think. Yeah, first part is suffering, suffering, all right? So what suffering is, is someone happens, uh, something happens in the individual's life, and this brings out an intense suffering. It's a source of pain. It feels like it's inescapable, like no matter what they do, they can't get away from it. No matter who they talk to, no matter how much they pray, no matter how much medication they take, no matter what they do, they feel like they can't beat it. They feel like they can't get past it. It can be physical pain. It can be emotional pain. It's an overwhelming, and it is a frequent feeling of pain. It's frequent feelings, strong feelings of suffering that feel inescapable, but we know in this room that there are people who endure 
lots of suffering. They endure lots of pain in the world, but they don't choose to end their own life. So what else is it? What else happens to this individual to bring them to this point? Well, once it moves from suffering, then it goes into isolation. Isolation. Not only do people who are suicidal feel intense pain, they feel like they're completely alone. The feeling of going to others, family members, friends, coworkers, it feels worthless. And not only do they feel like they're completely alone, they feel that no one genuinely cares for their circumstances. They feel that no one genuinely cares about their feelings. And more than that, it gets even worse by them feeling, man, if I go and talk to other people, then I'm becoming a burden to them. And I'm increasing to the pain in their life. And I feel like I'm a, a, a drain on their life. And the individual, they retreat more and more and more away from relationships. They put themselves in more and more isolation. And guys, this is, Harvard put this study out and says, this is essentially, this is why many people who decide to take their own life, they don't tell anyone. And that's why their family members feel like, this, this came out of the blue, where did this come from? Because they retreat further and further and further into isolation. And then once they're in isolation and suffering, then they face the last step, which is hopelessness. The individual thinks that their situation's hopeless, they think it's beyond repair, their pain is beyond reprieve, that they can never escape it. The thoughts of, um, just, they just feel tired. Feel tired, they feel like they've been defeated frequently over and over. Those feelings become very strong. Those hopeless feelings become strong and frequent. The individual might think that their life is devoid of purpose. They think it's devoid of meaning. Uh, and they think finding any type of meaning or any type of purpose is impossible, that it is unachievable. What this person might think during this phase is, man, I'm just so tired. I'm just so tired. And for me, to end it all, this is the only way. It's the only path to rest. And I just want to say right now, if anyone in here is thinking that, or if you're out driving around in your car and you're listening to us online sometime in the future, and you think that suicide will eliminate the pain, it will not. Pain cannot be eliminated. It can only be dealt with can only be progressed through. And ending your own life will not end the pain. What it will do is it will transfer it on to other people. And we deal with that every week. Myself, other pastors on staff here, we see it too frequently. Guys, and it's in this phase that tragically what happens is logically to that person when they reach this hopelessness phase, is to them that seems like the only logical answer. It seems like it's the only way out. It's the only thing that makes sense. While to us on the outside, we know that logically that this is not the answer, that this is not the course of action that should be taken to them. It seems like it's the only way. So right now, if you're in this room, what you might be thinking is, well, what am I supposed to do? How can I help people with this? How can I help Friends, how could I help coworkers or people that I serve with? How, how could I even begin the process of trying to help? I can't even fathom that level of intense and raw emotion. I can't even, I have no reference point for that. And the truth tonight is this, is as humans, man, we can do little. We can do little to address these things 
But the good news is, is that Jesus has done everything to defeat these things. The death and the resurrection, the cross, the tomb, the cradle, and the crown do more for us than just help us manage these problems or manage these feelings or just try to cope with them. No, the cross of Christ demolished and destroyed these feelings. And Jesus has commissioned and he has empowered the church with his Holy Spirit to bring about the message of hope that Jesus has brought to us. And he has charged us to actually manifest the hope and love for these people through the way that we interact with others, through the way that we love each other, and through the way that we love other people. So wherever you are tonight, this message applies to you. So I just want to say, if you're in this room and you say, I believe and follow Jesus Christ, you don't get a pass on this. Don't get a pass on this. So I want everyone to flip open 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. You can flip or tap your way over there. If you don't have your copy of God's Word, you can follow along on screen with us. Before we read this tonight, while you guys are turning there, I just, I just want to say something about what we're going to read tonight. The guy who wrote this, his name was Paul. And Paul uh, wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul knew a thing or two about suffering. All along Paul's life and his goal and his um, journeys to spread the gospel, Paul was shipwrecked three times during his life. He was beaten. He was tortured for following Christ. He was bitten by snakes. He endured sickness, the rejection of his own people. He dealt uh, with guilt for things that he had done in his life before that he met Jesus. His friends had abandoned him or betrayed him at different points in his life. He spent literally his last days on earth in a Roman prison cell. Literally, I've been to the place where Paul was, and I've seen it. It is a literal hole in the ground. A hole in the ground. It's where he was later executed by a Roman emperor for spreading the hope that we're going to talk about tonight. Paul knew about suffering. He knew about it. So I hope what you see tonight as we read through this and we study this is this, as you see this stark contrast between a messenger, somebody who lives in a dark and broken in a suffering world, and the message that they carry, a message that is this, this brilliant light to those who are lost, this brilliant light in the darkness, and this hope to the hopeless. Paul says, says elsewhere in his letters that beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, and what makes their feet beautiful is not of who they are, but it's the message that they carry. I think that many of us in here tonight are seeking good news, that that is what you came here to hear tonight, is good news. So let's see what he says. We're going to start in verse 7. Paul says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. So what we may not realize today is what Paul's talking about when he says, when he's talking about clay pots here, is this actually very significant. This would have been very significant for the people in Corinth who heard this for the first time. Uh, so back in Paul's time, people kind of had these cheap kind of like clay pots all around their house, and it was essentially what they used for uh, trash cans. They used these cheap kind of fragile pots um, all around their houses for storage. And what Paul's saying is, look, uh, our life is a lot like those clay pots. It's fragile, it's very breakable, but what is amazing about the believer 
is what may look like a trash can, what may seem like it's a trash can, is actually a treasure chest. Because it's not about the container. It's not about that, but it's about what is within the container. And LYA, listen, we must tap into that power. We must tap into that, what Paul is talking about. If we are going to deal well with suffering, isolation, and hopelessness. So let's keep going. In verse 8 it says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. I feel like some of us in here right now, that's how we feel. Pressed on every side, like we have these massive weights of the world just pressing down on us every day. But listen, how can Paul say this? How can he say this? What is the force? What is the hope that's carrying Paul through to be able to say words like this? Because if you're listening to me and you've been going to church your whole life, or you've been to church before, or you've talked to someone who's a believer when you felt pain and they've kind of thrown this at you, or they've thrown Romans 8.28 at you in this kind of platitudinal way, they say it in this kind of -of matter-of-fact way, the power of that scripture may have fell flat on you. And you may feel like God doesn't have answers for you, but listen, we must press past that. We have to press past that, and we have to understand that the force that Paul is talking about was real, and it was accessible. And he tells us in verse 10, in the next verse, what that is. In verse 10, he says this, Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. See what Paul is saying is the answer. The answer to being able to push through that suffering, the answer to being able to push through those things is the fact that Jesus suffered and his suffering had meaning. And because Jesus' suffering had meaning, our suffering has meaning as well. Jesus' suffering was not pointless. In fact, his suffering was an example to us. It was an example to us that God does not allow suffering that cannot be redeemed to bring about goodness and hope and joy and salvation. So if you're in this room, you feel like you're alone in your suffering, you feel like no one understands, you feel like no one has ever felt the way that I do and that there is no answers, yes, yes, there is. Yes, there is. Scripture says that Jesus suffered in every way that man has. So Jesus can identify with your suffering. Jesus was abandoned. Even the closest people to Jesus scorned him and hated him. Jesus' own people, the people that he came to save, beat him and crucified him. Jesus understands suffering. But more than just understand, our first point is Jesus makes suffering matter. It makes suffering matter. So if you felt like or you feel like you've been there in that first stage of suffering, suffering for the believer can matter. You don't suffer because the universe hates you or because God dealt you a bad hand in life. No, Jesus wants to take your suffering and he wants to use it. He wants to use it to propel his message of hope to other people. He wants to deliver you from that. He wants to turn your mess into a message which is to say that you didn't just suffer for nothing, but that it matters. Look at verse 11. 
Paul says, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. So that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. What Paul's saying is, look, we continue to live in suffering because our suffering demonstrates that the hope we have is real. It's not just talk. It's not just something that we slap on every day. It is real and it is accessible. It's not something that's made up. It's not something that's unattainable. It is something authentic. It's something that can carry us through the darkest suffering, through the coldest winter of the soul, through it all. Paul's saying, look, we have this hope. We have this hope. In verse 13, it says, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. And what's interesting here is when Paul quotes the psalmist here, what the psalmist writes in Psalms, it's from Psalms 116. In the beginning part of that psalm, he says, I feel like I am trapped by death. I feel like I'm an animal caught in snares. I feel like an animal that has chains on its limbs and around its neck. That's how I feel like death has me in chains. But then the psalm takes a dramatic turn. In the fourth verse, when the psalmist calls on the name of the Lord, because it is only the name of the Lord that can save. It is only the name of the Lord that can deliver us from these things. And then in verse 9, it says that the psalmist says, I, I walked into, I entered the Lord's presence. And I realized I was not alone in my suffering. Guys, that is your weapon. That is your weapon for dealing with anxiety. That's your weapon for dealing with depression. We're dealing with suffering. Feeling like you're isolating is pressing into the Lord's presence. And maybe right now you're in this room and you're like, I don't even know how to do that. How do I go into the Lord's presence? You can enter into the Lord's presence at any time through Jesus Christ. If you believe and follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells your body, makes you anew, and allows you to enter into the Lord's presence at any time. You don't have to come into the church to enter into the Lord's presence. You can enter in the Lord's presence at your house. You can enter in the Lord's presence in your car. You can enter in the Lord's presence at work, anywhere. You can go into the Lord's presence. And you combat these feelings with praise, with worship, and thanksgiving for who God is, with prayer, with gratitude for who God is. You call on the name of the Lord, and the name of the Lord saves. His word never returns void, never leaves you, never abandons you. That's what he's, the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying, look, God, he's not a God who leaves or forsakes his children. God did not abandon Jesus in his suffering, but he raised Jesus from the grave as a sign of his power and love. And Jesus did not abandon Paul. And what Paul is trying to get us to see in Corinthians right here is, I want you to see that same promise. God will never leave you high and dry. The promise that God didn't abandon Jesus in the grave and that God has a perfect track record of never abandoning his children. So our next point is, so we are not abandoned in our feelings of isolation, but we are united to Jesus in his suffering. We are united to Jesus in his suffering. Whenever we feel feelings of isolation, we must remember that with Christ, we're never isolated. We're never alone. And we can always press into his presence. In fact, the very last words that Matthew records in his gospel are Jesus' words. And he says, Behold, I am with you always. Behold, I'm with you always. 
So in Christ, we're not alone in our suffering. We're not isolated in our pain. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can look at that event as a sign that Jesus is with us always. Jesus is with us always. Let's keep going. Verse 15, it says, All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a great glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone but the things we cannot see will last forever. This is how Jesus gives hope to the hopeless. See, the gospel doesn't try to whitewash our situation. It doesn't try uh, to say, hey, look, it's not as bad as it seems. The gospel doesn't say, hey, toughen up a little bit. If you could just grit your teeth, if you were just a little bit stronger, if you were just a little bit better, you would make it through it. You could get through it. No, the gospel affirms that we are in real, legitimate trouble. And we need real, legitimate, and authentic help and hope. That is what Paul means in verse 17 when he says, look at it again, look how it's closed. He says, our present troubles, our present troubles. What are your present troubles? The things that are making you suffer, the things that are keeping you up at night, what are those? He says, our present troubles won't last very long. Yet the suffering this suffering produces for us a glory that gives us a great hope, a hope that we cannot find in this world because it is not from this world. And we can have hope that God has a purpose in our pain. We can have hope that God above all is the master of taking a very ugly situation, a very ugly circumstance and making it the most beautiful picture. God took the crucifixion of Jesus, maybe the only time that Jesus may have felt alone in his suffering. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out to the Father, Father, where are you? Have you forsaken me? Maybe the only time that Jesus may have felt alone. God took that situation and he turned it into the most beautiful picture of hope through raising him from the dead. God did not stay on the sideline and leave Jesus. But he gave his suffering purpose. And he gave his suffering meaning. And he took a horrible, unjust, unfair situation. And he turned it into the brightest beacon of hope that has stretched 2,000 years of history to where we are talking about it all these years later. Church, that's why we never give up. That's why we can always press on because we can be the messenger in the darkest time and the coldest winter carrying the most beautiful message that is full of light and the darkness that is full of warmth for the broken and for the hopeless. Jesus is the answer for our suffering. He's the voice that calls back to us in our isolation. He's the hope to the hopeless. Now that we've understood that, 
what I want to do is I just I want to read this passage one more time. I want to read it uninterrupted. I want to read it unbroken because I believe God's word is just speaking so powerfully through this text that quite honestly, I really just want to get out of its way. I really want to be out of its way. So would you just join me? We're just going to pray one more time. We're going to pray one more time and we're going to read this again. Lord, would you just empower the reading of your scripture, God? Would you empower it, Father? Would you... God, allow it to speak into our lives, God. Your word says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, God, that it can divide deeply within us. Lord, would you just speak once more, God. Speak to us once more through the reading of your word. God, we're open to it. God, we're open to hear from you right now. We ask this in Christ's name. You can follow along screen with me if you'd like. Verse 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live in constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be a great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last for forever. So we don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Guys, you didn't come here tonight to hear good advice. I think you've heard a lot of good advice in your life. I think you came here tonight to hear the good news. And the gospel isn't news. We throw that word news out a lot. We throw it around a lot. We think things like the Nationals making the World Series is news or what people wear to Met Gala is news. It's not news. News is something that changes history. It shifts culture. It's an event that you might say, hey, everything changed after this happened. Think about like 9-11. That's an example of news. Everything changed after that. The gospel isn't good advice, it's good news. This perfect news carried by imperfect messengers, by imperfect people just like me and just like you. It's a news that the all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing God of the universe who has authority and dominion over everything saw us, saw me, saw you in suffering, and he didn't stay on the sideline and leave you. 
but he came to earth. The world that he created, he suffered the same pain that we feel, the pain that you felt, the pain to the point that he died an unjust death so that we could be free from the sin that wrecks our lives and ruins our lives and ruins our existence to give us hope that we are indeed united to him. United to him in life and that we have been rescued from living an eternal death. So if we put our hope in Christ, not what is around us, not what we can see around us, but we put our hope in what is not yet seen and what we can't see, and if we fix our eyes, we fix our gaze on that, then we can press on telling others of the same hope that we have found. Guys, that is good news. That's the news that we can say, everything was different when I heard that. Everything changed when I heard that. That's what I want us to leave here tonight doing. This is our bottom line for tonight is this, is seeing our hope personified by putting into action that our purpose gives us faith to continue to move forward because we realize the power that we walk in does not come from within us, but it comes from above us.